Today we come to the conclusion of the Gospel of Luke. It has been eight years since we endeavored into this study. If you can imagine that, eight years. I didn't have gray hair uh, when we started this. I didn't wear glasses when we started this. Uh, Eight years have gone by. And let me say this very clearly this morning as we begin. Praise God for the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise God for the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me, we're going to be in Luke chapter 24, verses 50 through 53. I'm going to read our verses, and then if you would join me in a word of prayer, please. Luke chapter 24, beginning in the 50th verse, and God's word says this, and he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come today and I'm so thankful. I'm thankful for my Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for a kind and gracious God. I'm thankful for a God that is faithful and his mercies are new every single morning. Lord, we come today and we, we worship you. We lift up the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm thankful for the opportunity to preach through the gospel of Luke. And I'm thankful for the great days. I'm thankful for the salvations. I'm thankful for the lives that are changed, the truth that went out. I'm thankful for the hard days that shaped us and built us. And so, Lord, we come, and as we conclude this effort, Lord, we just tell you, we love you. The more we know you, we truly love you. Lord, I pray on this day, this very day, as we, as we finish out these verses, I pray that once again the living God would truly speak. Lord, I pray that it will be a supernatural event that you would speak to our hearts and our minds that we would be shaped in this very day. We would be corrected if need be, that we'd be refocused if we must be. Lord, but I pray that in all things the name of Jesus is lifted up and that many sinners find grace in Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We praise you, we thank you, and I pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today we again come to the end of Luke's gospel, and be sure and understand, I've said it throughout the study, it is the actual historical account of the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And sometimes we start to think, well, this is pie in the sky or this is a a book of fables. Understand, this is the actual historical account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do? We can go to Luke's gospel and we have the actual historical account. Well, really maybe more for me than anybody, but let me walk you very quickly through Luke's gospel this morning. Again, there were, there were many, many sermons. Let me walk you through his gospel this morning. In chapter 1, after 400 years of silence since the book of Malachi, the birth of the Messiah is announced. Now, the forerunner, John the Baptist, he is introduced, but the birth of Jesus after 400 years of silence is announced in chapter 1. In chapter 2, we read a tremendous chapter, one of our favorite chapters, that our Savior Jesus is born. Today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus is born. In the fullness of time, our Savior is born. God is wearing skin, Emmanuel, 
God with us. In chapter 3, at the start of his earthly ministry, Jesus is baptized. And at that tremendous event, a very profound event, the Father says, Behold my Son, in whom I am well pleased. In chapter 4, a very tremendous chapter. In chapter 4, if you go back and remember, you could almost hear a pin drop as Jesus proclaims he is the Savior promised in Isaiah chapter 61. In Isaiah 61, it says that he would preach the good news, that he would set the captives free, that he would proclaim the year of favor in the Lord. Well, Jesus is reading the scroll there in the crowd, and he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the gas, the air as it must have been sucked out of the room? I am that Savior. I am the Messiah. Chapter 5 begins the call of his disciples. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Telling of his goal to reach the lost with the gospel of the hope of Jesus Christ. Listen, that is the call for believers everywhere. Follow Jesus and you will be fishers of men. Chapter 6, he preaches the Beatitudes. It means the blessings. Preparing his disciples for the call that is ahead of them. And I, I picture that as he, as he assembles those disciples and he's telling them it's not going to be what you think. In fact, it's going to be exactly opposite of what you think. And it's not going to be a normal cause. And it's going to be a costly cause. And he preaches the Beatitudes to his disciples. Can you imagine that? In chapter 7, we meet a woman. The Bible says a woman of the city who was a sinner. We read the account, and it's a, it's a very intense account. As she comes, and she draws near to Jesus, and the Pharisees are there, and they're gawking at Jesus, and they're really ridiculing Jesus, trying to poke a hole in the truth of Jesus. And this woman, a woman of the city, a sinner, comes, and she breaks her alabaster jar. The Bible says that she wet Jesus' feet with her own tears. She wipes his feet with her hair, the hair of her head. And the woman leaves with her sins forgiven. Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And while the Pharisees gawked and looked on, she worshiped because she knew who Jesus was. In chapter 8, Jesus tells us of the precious seed. What is our mission? What is the seed that we sow as believers? He tells us in chapter 8 of the precious seed. It says the very word of God. Listen, that is the seed that we still uphold today. That is the seed that we still sow today. The word of God that leads to salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus tells of the precious seed, the word of God. In chapter 9, Jesus begins... Telling the cost of the call. It says, no one having put their hand to the plow and turning back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now picture the scene there, a person that puts their hand to the plow. They have an intent to plow. They have a desire to plow. It says, anyone having put their hand to the plow and turning back and letting loose is not fit for the kingdom of God. He's telling them this call is going to require strength. It's going to require trust. It's going to require perseverance. You must endure. In chapter 10, we learn of a good Samaritan. 
a hated race, a despised man, not the religious people, not, not the esteemed person, but a Samaritan who proved to be the true neighbor of the one who fell into the robber's hands. And what, a, what an awesome story we have there pointing out the truth of God's gracious love. Chapter 11, Jesus teaches on prayer. And it's a, it's a very intense chapter, really, as we, as we move through it, pointing out how good our Father is, our good, good Father. It says, who desires to answer our prayers. Listen, it's not superstition. It's not just speaking words of hope somewhere in the air. It says that God is like a good Father, us being evil, but Him being a good Father. And the actual words of Christ are, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be open unto you. Oh, the goodness of our Father. Oh, what grace we have to approach him in prayer. In chapter 12, we learn of our Father's love and care for even one sparrow. The Bible says that even though five sparrows are sold for two cents, they're worthless. Even though five sparrows are sold for two cents, not one of them is forgotten. Jesus tells us, do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. His eyes on the sparrow, and I know that he watches me. Oh, the Father's love, oh, his gracious kindness shown to us. It was passing through Luke chapter 12 that my dad, who was always impatient to get to the end, went to see Jesus himself. Chapter 13. In chapter 13, we see Jesus and his love for Jerusalem. We see his love for his, his very own people, for his very own nation. As he says, as he, as he peers over the city, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you together as a hen, and I would have blessed you as a hen would have blessed her brood, but you would not have it. And he weeps over their lost state. The Bible says in the book of John, he came into his own and his own received him not. In chapter 14, he again talks of the cost of discipleship. Be sure it was not to be a surprise. He is very clear in it. It is going to be no easy thing. He says in chapter 14, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me, his own instrument of death and come after me, cannot be my disciple. Understand, as a disciple of Christ, we forfeit ourselves, we forfeit our desire, and we submit to the will of the Father. He who wants to come after me must take up his cross and follow me. In chapter 15, oh, chapter 15, we see our Savior, the good shepherd who would leave the 99 to go in search of the one to find them, to rescue them, to lay them across his shoulder and to bring them back in the fold. Understand today as sinners, I am that one. We are that one. The good shepherd, he leaves the 99 and he searches out the crevices and the rocks and he finds the one and picks them up in care and brings them back to the fold. In chapter 15, we see the father 
And I'll never forget the picture of the father who has looked at the horizon for his son day after day. And on this day, he sees his son in the distance drawing near and he pulls up his robe and he tucks it into his belt and he runs to his rebellious son. And the Bible says he falls on his neck and he receives him back as if he never left. And he shouts out, put a ring on his finger, put a robe on his shoulder, sandals on his feet, kill the fatted calf for behold, my son who is dead is alive again. Oh, the kindness of the Father. In chapter 16, we read of a rich man who has gone to eternal punishment, who now in grave seriousness asks for someone to, to just tell his brothers if you could just send somebody to tell my brothers, if there was just some way to tell my brothers, warn them that they'll not come to this place of torment. That's what he says. The truth is they have Moses and the prophets. They have the word of God. It says, let them hear from them. In chapter 17, we read of 10 lepers, 10 outcasts, 10 men with no Hope. They're healed in a miraculous fashion from Jesus. And the sad truth of the story, 10 men, no hope, 10 men sick, 10 men that are doomed and they're, they're restored, they're healed by Jesus. But the sad truth is only one returns to thank Jesus. And I rec recall that account and I wanna shout out for those other nine, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Only one returns to thank him. Chapter 18, we have the rich young ruler. The Bible said a man whose wealth was great. Very telling of our day today, his wealth was great. And so he leaves the Savior in sadness because he couldn't let go of the things of the world. It says he left and he was dejected because he had much wealth. He couldn't let go of the things of the world. In chapter 19, we meet a wee little man a sinner, a traitor of the people, Zacchaeus. And Jesus shows great kindness to Zacchaeus and he reveals the truth in, in, in chapter 19, verse 10, that the Son of Man truly has come to seek and to save that which is lost. It's as clear as day, but he shows it to Zacchaeus. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. In chapter 20, we read that Jesus is now in his final week. He's now in the holy city for the Passover. He's come now presenting himself as the final Passover lamb. In chapter 21, we see that even with so much happening, even so much at stake during this week, the profoundness of this week, that Jesus notices the widow's gift all that she had, and, and he sees her heart, all that she has as plink, plink, it falls down into the treasurer's box. In chapter 22, we feel, we see Christ's torment in the garden. We read the account and we, we read where he prays, Father, if willing, remove this cup, but not my will, but thine be done. He's there and he's in great torment there in the garden. We feel the agony. Father, if there's any other way, any other way, but nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours be done. And Jesus submits to the will of the Father and through that, we have redemption today. 
chapter 23, Jesus is crucified. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him and the criminals, one on the left and one on the right. Jesus is crucified for the sins of man. At the end of the chapter, it says he is taken off of that, that, that cross and he's placed dead in a rich man's grave. The lamb is slain. The price for sin is paid. Chapter 23, Jesus is crucified. And then chapter 24, Miracle of all miracles, the tomb is open. Chapter 24, the tomb is open, but listen, not just open, not just the door open, not just his body removed, but Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive again, the angels proclaim. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, for he has risen. Chapter 24, Jesus is alive. He is alive. And so it was. 24 chapters, each word, the grace of God. 24 chapters, each word revealing the God of grace. 24 chapters, the good news of our salvation. And eight years later, I proclaim, praise God for the good news of Jesus Christ. Praise God for the gospel. Well, there's three verses left. Three last verses pointing to the glory and the splendor of our gracious Savior, Jesus. Three verses today, and then we're done. So let's look today at these three last verses. Again, this morning, see the immediate context in, in our verses from last week, from last time. We see Jesus resurrected from the dead one final time explains his coming. He says who he is. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. Jesus explains his purpose, that as the Christ, that he would suffer, that he would die, and three days later he would rise again. He has told us who he is. He has told us his purpose. And then one last time he explains his gospel, that through him and he alone there is the forgiveness of sin. And so Jesus one last time has told who he is, the Messiah. He's told his purpose for coming, that he would suffer, that he would die, that he would live again. And he's told us the gospel, that there is forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. Now I want you to understand we have a pretty good point from this vantage point looking back that that has always been the message of the gospel of Luke. Do you understand that's always the message of the gospel of Luke? From, from chapter 1, as we start to move through those accounts, as we start to move through those verses, starting in chapter 1, coming all the way to chapter 24, and the glorious resurrection of Jesus, that has always been the message, that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, who very, his very life sinless. He suffers and he dies as the payment for sin, but he lives again in resurrection power, and through him alone there is the forgiveness of sin. And with that, not only settled, it's settled. And with that, not only finished, it is finished. But with that clearly stated, that clearly told, Jesus is now to ascend 
and go back to heaven from whence he came. His work is finished. Redemption is secured. Not only that, he has explained it. It's no mystery any longer. He's told what it was. He's explained the gospel. And now he is to ascend and to go to heaven. Now, these last three verses are really very awesome. And you could, you could look at several aspects of these verses. You could, you could break down and you could think about these verses. These are, these are very exciting verses to think about what is happening, to, to try to envision the actual thing that happened. These are very exciting verses. They're really very involved verses. But I want to close today, and I want us to see one big thing as we close, and that is this. I want you to see this. Jesus doesn't go back the same as when he came. Now, now stay with me right here. Understand, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God does not change. He is the same. Be sure and understand that. But that said, however, Jesus doesn't go back to glory the same as he came. Now, I want you to follow with me as we pass through these verses. I'm going to begin here in verse 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Listen to verse 50 again. Now, now picture this. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Verse 51. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Now, in the book of Acts, it says that a cloud received him out of their sight. If you remember one Easter, I preached on the cumulus elevator. And this glorious cloud receives him out of sight. And what a, what a tremendous picture that is. In the book of Mark, it says, He was received up into heaven, and listen to this, and sat down at the right hand of God. Woo, listen to me. That is awesome. That is awesome. That is tremendous. Redemption is secured. Salvation is settled. It is finished. And Jesus, the Prince of glory, he returns to glory, and he does it in a splendid fashion the darling of heaven, Jesus, he's alive today. Our, our faith is secure. Our salvation is secure. And he goes to glory and he sits down to the glory of the Father. It is finished. It is finished. He's back in glory. Oh, how tremendous that is. Understand this. He didn't have to come. Do you understand that? He didn't have to come. He didn't have to come. Philippians chapter 2 says, but he came, he humbled himself. He condescended, he humbled himself. And he took on the form of a man that he might be a kinsman, redeemer, and save mankind. He humbled himself not to just come and save us, but to death. It says even death on a terrible cross. He humbled himself. He didn't have to do that. Listen, he didn't need to do that. But in grace and kindness to sinners, he does it. He comes and he walks as a man and he's spat on as a man and he's rejected as a man. He's nailed to the cross and he bleeds as a man. But listen, now he's going home back to glory. Oh, how awesome it is. But see one other thing here. It says, he led them out as far as Bethany. Now understand this is on the Mount of Olives. 
This is a little village he was familiar with. It was where his great friends lived. And this crazy sight. Here's a band of believers, and they've assembled behind Jesus. And they're following him out. They don't, I'm sure, not know what's going to happen here. They, they follow him out, and they go as far as Bethany. And there on the Mount of Olives, as far as Bethany, he comes to a halt. And the Bible says he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them. Now, I want you to watch this. What is this? He, he comes as far as Bethany stops. He lifts his hands and he blesses them. What is, what is going on here? What is this? Is this a good way to say goodbye? It makes sense if it is. He's there and he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna raise his hands and bless them. It seems like a pretty good way to say goodbye to his faithful followers. Is this a way to pray for them? And, and, and what an awesome thing. They've, they follow him here and he's going he's gonna to pray for them. It's not what the Bible says, but maybe he just wanted to pray for them before he ascends to glory. What is this? Now, I'll just tell you, I'm sure they were glad for it. I'm sure as they were listening to him and they were watching him with his hands raised, I'm sure they were glad for it. But what is this? All right, stay hitched. In... Leviticus chapter 9, all the way back to Leviticus chapter 9, God tells his people a very detailed prescription for building the tabernacle. And you can go read that, that process, the preceding chapters, a very detailed process for building a tabernacle. God gives a very detailed process for the calling and the service of the priest. They would be from the tribe of Levi. They would be a descendant of Aaron, Moses' brother. And Aaron himself is the first high priest. And go listen to the duties and the, the requirements of the priest. Very detailed is calling of the priest. God instructs them very detailed, very carefully in the sacrificial system. And it says there will be this offering and it'll be done in this manner and only in this manner. And there will be this offering and it'll be done in this manner and only in this manner. And he gives a very detailed account of the sacrificial system. And then in Leviticus chapter nine, with the tabernacle complete, Aaron goes and he does exactly what God prescribes, exactly what God says concerning the sacrifices. And then in Leviticus chapter 9, verse 22, listen to this. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he stepped down after making the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he stepped down after making the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. Now this is wild. Follow with me. The sin offering was an offering for specific sin. It was not for a general state of sinfulness, but for a specific sin. Listen very carefully. Each and every sin must be paid for. Do you understand that? Each and every sin that you have committed, each and every sin that I have committed, each and every individual sin 
must be paid for and the only remedy for each of those sins was atonement through the blood. Only the blood was used in this offering. Every sin must be atoned for and it's atoned for in blood. The burnt offering. The burnt offering was another sacrifice except it was a total sacrifice. All of the animal was used in the sacrifice. Nothing was held back. Some of the offerings, they would hold something back for the priest to eat or to do something later with. None of the offering was held back. It was a total sacrifice. The perfect animal, the animal of highest value, was totally given in sacrifice. This was for sin in general. It was for a sinful state in general. Now, as part of this offering, the person would place their hands on the animal symbolizing a transfer of the sin, symbolizing the truth that the animal, the innocent animal would die for the sins of the guilty person. The innocent would carry the sins of the guilty in a total sacrifice. That is the message of that offering. That is the the picture of that offering. The innocent would carry the sins of of the guilty in a total sacrifice. And whenever you saw that, that's what you'd be sure of. The innocent will carry the sins of the guilty in a total sacrifice. The peace offering, it's also called the praise offering, sometimes or a thanksgiving offering, had nothing to do with sin. It was in praise of God, in thankfulness of God. It praised God for his goodness, listen to this, or for his deliverance and salvation. If there was a great battle, they would do this peace offering. If there was an act of deliverance, they would do this peace offering. It praised God for his goodness or his deliverance and salvation. Now see two things about the peace offering. The animal, or it could be grain, that was given in the peace offering, ultimately, see this, came from God. If there was a great crop, it came from God. If there was an abundant livestock crop, it came from God. So God provided the means to worship. And understand this, if God doesn't provide, there's not going to be any worship, but God does provide. Now, the second thing to see here is the praise offering, and this is very interesting, didn't happen alone. It never happened by itself. It was always in conjunction. It was always with another offering, but it was only done after the other offering was done. And so when the sin offering or when the burnt offering was done and the smoke from that offering is still going up, then there would be the offering to praise God. Listen to chapter 9, verse 22 again. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he stepped down after making the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offering. Friends, Jesus doesn't go back to heaven the same as he came. You see, I want you to follow with me. You see this? When he came, there was a high priest. He was a man from the tribe of Levi. He was a descendant of Aaron. When Jesus came, there was a high priest. Listen to this. When Jesus came, when he was born that day in Bethlehem, there was a high priest. But in the book of Hebrews, when he goes back, he is 
the high priest. And so I want you to understand there on the Mount of Olives, as far out as Bethany, when he lifts his hands and blesses them, the high priest hasn't offered a lamb, but he himself was the lamb. The high priest hasn't sprinkled the blood, but he himself has shed the blood. The high priest, he didn't come and approach the altar. He was nailed to the altar. The high priest, he hadn't just covered the sin. He had carried the sin that we would bury it no more. And fully and finally, and not temporarily, but forevermore, Jesus, the perfect high priest, Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, with the sin offering paid, every single sin paid for, and with the burnt offering paid for sinners redeemed, and with the peace offering made, there's fellowship with God. Jesus raises his hand, and he blesses them, and where Aaron stepped down, Jesus goes up to glory. Every sacrifice is finished. Peace is restored. Fellowship is made. Everything is assembled, and he steps up, and he goes home to glory. It is finished. It is finished in Jesus. The perfect high priest raises his hand, and he blesses them, and he goes home to glory. Praise God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come. And I am in all, total awe of such a perfect salvation, such a perfect Savior, that the sin offering was paid each and every rotten sin, paid for, finished in the cross. The sin, the sins of people, our rebellious hearts, it's forever redeemed. The cross of Calvary, peace, fellowship with God, the righteousness of Christ bestowed upon us, and now we're counted as friends. It's purchased at the cross of Calvary. It is finished. Lord, I'm thankful for such a perfect gospel. Lord, I pray that we would be, first off, partakers of that gospel. Any person here that doesn't know you, we would put our, our heart and our trust and our faith in the Savior of that gospel, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we would be fishers of men, ambassadors of that gospel. Those of us that are saved, that we would tell a lost and dying world, a world that says, shut the book of Luke, shut that Bible, close off that gospel. Lord, that we would be ambassadors of the good news, the only good news. That there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Help us be that. And Lord, I pray in all of those things, as we finish this today, that we would put our eyes upon you and that we would praise you and that we would worship you and that we would thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We exalt you. In Jesus' name I pray. In your name I pray. Amen.